welcome to the OutCan Experience. I'm your host, Anne Reifenstein, and in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Eric. Eric lives in London, in the UK, and he took the time to share with us what it's like to live there. I have always loved the city of London, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to visit it a whole bunch of times. Every time I go, I discover something new. Every time I go, there's something else that's just you can't find anywhere else. London is a dynamic, vibrant, multicultural city, and I've always wondered what it would be like to live there. So it was so great to have the opportunity to talk with Eric and have him share what his experiences have been like. Welcome to the Outcant Experience, Eric. Could you introduce yourself and tell me about where you live? Of course, Anne. My name is Eric McKenzie. I'm the Community Services Manager with Military Family Services in the UK. And I am in Ricelip. It's pr- pronounced Ricelip, even though by looking at it on the paper, it looks like Ruislip. So Ricelip is where the de- London is located. And it's about 45 minutes to downtown London by two. Nice. I guess nice i'm not sure is it nice i'm sorry i should probably ask that is it nice i'm making this something it, it is 32 boroughs of of london so imagine in our case uh there's a, a massive highway it's called the m25 that goes around and that's basically what determines central london and inside there's there's 32 boroughs so we're in the borough of hillington and every single little community has their own high street which is basically a main street so it's quite nice and convenient because There is a main street, a high street. There's also close proximity to a tube station. So you feel like you're in a little village. But if you hop on the tube, then all of a sudden you're downtown central London and and you forget that you're living next to a city that really has almost 10 million people in it. And is that very different from where you came from? Well, I came from Ottawa. So it's funny because that's obviously the nation's capital. and There's so much green space. But I never would have expected that London would be so full of footpaths and parkways and and just every single opportunity for families, even that are living in downtown central London, you know, in the concrete jungle, so to speak, to still have a plethora of opportunities to actually go out and, and enjoy and, and, and recreate in the outdoors or have uh, so many different options where families can go on this trail or that trail in a city, because that's outside of the NCC in, in Ottawa, then that's basically it. So it's really amazing here that it's equal both in the boroughs of London and also downtown London. So what's been the best thing about living in London so far? The best thing is, for me personally, the pub culture, because you hear about it all the time. And, and you know, back in Canada, there was this, I don't know, the stereotype, I suppose, that the Brits end the day with a, a pint and, you know, everyone spills out from the, the pub or the uh, the bar and into the sidewalks and everything else. And they're just kind of chatting. And I thought that really can't be the case, but it really is. And it's it's almost like a self-care check-in, so to speak, where they get off the tube and before they go home to their, their loving family, they stop and they check in with their friends or, or finish the day with their colleagues and, and have a quick toast. And it's almost as if the, if they don't do that, then it raises so much concern of, of where is a person and are they okay? Because it's it's really, the pubs are the lifeblood of, of, of the UK. It's it's where community members get together and, and catch up if they haven't seen a loved one in, in weeks or months, or it's just two friends that just want to go out and and, uh, and uh, have a night off. It really is um, a staple here. And it's actually amazing to finally experience it compared to actually just hearing about it from back in Canada. That is really neat. I, I hadn't really given it much thought, but th- that would be a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> to have that yeah. check-in at the end of the day. I think that would be kind of 
reassuring. What, what's what been challenging? Well, the simplest answer is the uh, vehicles driving on the other side of the road. So there's a reason why there's a giant spray paint on every single sidewalk in central London where it says look left. And I don't know how many people had to be involved in a fatal accident or be injured or whatever the case may be until they finally decided to actually do that for their liability. And I'm so thankful that they did because there are countless times where I was about to walk out into oncoming traffic and think, oh yeah, there's absolutely nothing coming that way. And then all of a sudden I look down and think, oh yeah, look left. And it's just a mad dash of cars coming in the other direction. So it takes a long time for your brain to really switch gears, especially even being in a in a vehicle. So on the other side of it, being in the opposite side of the car. And a lot of families experience that firsthand when they fly into Heathrow because they're jet lagged and usually it's a red-eye flight. So if they take an Uber or a taxi to the hotel, it is the most odd experience possible, especially if you're sitting in what would be the driver's seat back in North America, because you're already suffering from jet lag and, and you just think this is very odd and unnatural for me to be in this seat and have no control over what's happening in the car. So it, it is, that's the simplest answer I can say in terms of what's challenging. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> having, having flown into London and then made the mistake of getting a rental car immediately. Yeah, no, it's, and some of our families have to do that and then continue driving four or five, six hours uh, till their post. And and I know that I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, that has unfortunately been in that car seat. And then by default, you put the car in reverse and I just from habit and second nature, I smash my head on the right-hand windshield because you're just so used to just looking over your right-hand shoulder. And I just nailed the windshield because of course you're supposed to look the other way. And that takes some time getting used to. So I can only imagine how many Canadians have been in that same situation. So what's the biggest culture shock? The biggest culture shock is that surprisingly, and this is just something I wasn't aware of prior to coming, is that the most common second language spoken in the UK is actually Polish. And obviously there is a huge multicultural influence here. You can go to any high street and you're going to find a number of uh, Indian restaurants. That's a, a huge thing. So there is that component, but also the fact that there is just this melting pot of, of, of all the cultures in the world, so to speak, that are in central London. Uh, whereas in Canada, it's, you know, certain cities like Toronto, for example, or Vancouver is, is very multicultural. But but um, if you're coming from a base wing unit, like Gagetown, for example, it is a drastic difference compared to what you've just left. So what I've found absolutely amazing, and in, in it's the cultural similarities, but also the divide, is that there's just simple little expressions that can completely throw someone off. So a lot of Canadians come over here, and they're caught off guard completely because a local will say, you're all right. And the first time that happened to me, I, th- I thought, well, am I, am I bleeding? You know, what's, what's, what do they see that I'm not aware of? Because I feel fine. But that's just the way of checking in. That's just the way of saying hi. And there's so many different little expressions that are used. And and, uh, to that end, unlike other outcam locations in Europe, um, you would think there'd be less of a barrier with the language. But you could be sitting down, you know, at a pub or a restaurant and talking to someone from from Wales or Scotland and you're thinking, I know they're speaking in English, but I'm only catching every third or fourth word. So it, it really is a cultural difference just in the English language alone. Yeah. So... When did you move over again? You moved over in... In June of 2019. So I've been here for almost two years. All right. So so how did that move go? Was there a way to find out information or was there anything bumpy? Or would you give 
anybody any advice on what to bring or what not to bring in the move? Well, hopefully, uh, those who are listening, not to put a shameful plug in, but MFS has a handbook that they've tailored to each individual location. So I will fully admit that that handbook saved so much stress for my spouse and I because there are things that you just think you know, and then all of a sudden when you start reading it or you've come here for a house hunting trip, you realize, I didn't know that, or yeah, that's something I just wouldn't have thought of. So that handbook has a wealth of knowledge in there that can ease your transition. And some of the things that you just have to be willing to say goodbye to a beloved item back in Canada and realize that's probably best for long-term storage and not making its way across the uh, the pond simply because you're lucky if you can get a transformer. And if you can, then that's really relevant for two main North America electronics. So for example, for us, it's just our TV and our uh, Blu-ray player. So outside of that, you have to really make a choice saying, okay, do I leave the blender? Do I leave the vacuum? All those things, you have to realize that, yeah, there's a complete different voltage. There's a whole different adapter required and everything else. And just the simplest things can sometimes think, yeah, you know what? Our toaster isn't going to work. Or even just knowing that when you come, you need to actually put salt in the dishwasher or you have to drain the washer differently than you would back in Canada. So there's so many different expectations that you need to really realign. And and most importantly, you just have to be flexible and realize, okay, so the fridge is about the quarter of the size of what I've been used to back in Canada. So it's it really is something to just remember that, yeah, at the end of the day, when you're going grocery shopping, you can't stock up for two weeks like you normally would back in Canada. If you go to Costco or something, you, you, you really just have to pick up just the bare essentials and uh, plan accordingly. And usually every three or four or five days, then replenish the fridge because space is a serious issue. And if you're a family of four, for example, <laughs> it's a very big issue. What's housing like for you in London? Like what, what kind of houses are available? I know housing is actually really quite expensive and quite difficult to find, I think, in London, isn't it? It is. Now, thankfully, the rent ceiling is is also aligned with that as well. So at the end of the day, even though the the cost is insanely high, I mean, at the end of the day, you could be paying the equivalent of maybe three mortgages legit back in Canada for the cost of just renting either a flat in central London or um, a standalone uh, house, for example, in Rice Lips. So it's amazing. And it's and it's so necessary to have that financial support to help offset that cost, because otherwise, uh, <laughs> you would be really going into the red each month, just just from housing alone, let alone trying to rent a, a nor- normal size fridge. But in terms of the homes here, the biggest difference is that there's no such thing as a finished basement. There's no such thing as a basement at all. So what they consider the bottom floor is the main floor. And the first floor is actually the second floor, what we would consider back in Canada. And and to that end, you also have to brace yourself and, and be aware that the standard size room is drastically different all across Europe, but even in the UK compared to in Canada. And that doesn't even factor in that there's no closet. So there's going to be a challenge to make sure that you have a wardrobe fixture that's going to eat up maybe a fifth of the of the room. The dimensions are much smaller, and and that's just par for the course here. And it's it, it's a good way to kind of you know if you can downsize your wardrobe prior to coming because of really at the end of the day there's at best three seasons here. You know at least in the UK you don't have to worry about a cold harsh winter. So you know at the end of the day it's very similar to the weather in Victoria. And if you can put up with a little bit of rain, you don't really need to worry about bringing your Canada goose jacket or other things that are just going to take up a lot of space where space is of a premium. 
So that's something that um, we try to also remind people prior to coming. The temperature always kind of fakes me out because I find when I go to England, particularly in wintertime, I get really, really cold. And that's something I, I should have mentioned. It's just that the weather alone, even though it really is only three seasons, the biggest change is it might only be 10 degrees. And you think, oh, gosh, that's that's wonderful. That's 10 degrees. But it is a damp 10 degrees where it's a chill to the bone. And once you actually get that chill, it's very hard to shake it for the rest of the day. So the temperature might be a little more favorable than, than back in Canada. But at the end of the day, um, it's a different type of cold. And I would much rather prefer, which I have had the contrast of going back to Canada at minus 20. And that actually seems a lot more comfortable than plus five, plus 10 here in England. The damp is really pervasive. It like kind of eats at you, doesn't it? Like it feels much colder than it actually, the temperature is actually reading. Yeah, no, I, I, I found, and, and I think that might have something to do as well with the heating systems that are in many places. Well, we have uh, natural air that comes in because uh, some of the windows are so old in houses, especially ours, where the curtains are actually blow a little bit when it's a big gust of wind outside. So the curtains move inside the house and the heating, uh, it is a bit bit older, but at the end of the day, um, it's just a difference with the damp weather and that thick layer of gray cloud that's just always hovering above you during the winter months. But but still, it's uh, you don't have to scrape ice off your windshield. You don't need to do any serious shoveling. So there's pros and cons. Oh, yeah, definitely. A friend of mine used to talk about, um, a friend of mine who lives there, talks about the houses breathe here. Like the houses are not, he goes, you live in a sealed box in Canada, and I understand why. He goes, but the houses, they breathe here. They have life so they can live long lives. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that point, very few Brits will not, will actually avoid paying the insane cost to install air conditioning. So when they do have a very rare heat wave that, that rolls through, everybody suffers because it's the houses do breathe, like you mentioned. So that humidity does enter the house and, and it can be over 30 degrees inside the house, which is something you would just never experience back home. Right. It, it, it's a, it seems there seems to be an innate suspicion of air conditioning, I find, on this side of the Atlantic, well, wherever you go. Yeah, they just, the people feel that, why should I pay that if I would only use it two or three times a year? It's just not a very good investment. But when those two or three days come, I would sign on the dotted line any day. Are there many Canadians living in England or in the UK, I should say? Yeah. So right now we have CAF members in three of the four countries that make up the United Kingdom. So we have Canadians in England, Wales, and Scotland. So everyone in Great Britain, but for the United Kingdom, that includes Northern Ireland, about 100 families in the United Kingdom right now. And outside of that, there's a lot of Canadians too that have just moved over here. And some have actually retired here as well. And uh, a lot of Canadians actually have dual citizenship just because of the Commonwealth where their ancestors are been here for a number of years. And the best example I can give of that is that um, there is a certain little bar downtown London called the Maple Leaf. And that is, without hesitation, the most Canadian experience you could have here in the UK. And obviously, July 1st is not a recognized holiday in the United Kingdom. So you are seeing literally the street overflowing with Canadians or fans of Canada, let's just say, 
And they're just there because they want to have Canadian beer, they want to have a poutine, and they want to listen to Canadian music. Yeah, that sounds like fun. You said your spouse came over with you. UK Mm -hmm. is one of the few places you can work while you're outside Canada. It is, absolutely. It's the only place and out can Europe, if we can group the United Kingdom into, into Europe in this particular example right now where spouses can work on the local economy just because of the Commonwealth Agreement. So it's a very simplified process. All that's required is just to apply for what would be the equivalent of our SIN number back in Canada. It's just a national insurance number. It's a very easy process. So she was able to do that and was uh, thankfully able to find work that's uh, directly in her field back in Canada and continue that here. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it is wonderful because it's great for spouses to continue their careers because unfortunately in, in Canada with lots of postings, they have to put their, their careers on hold. But here in the United Kingdom, they can continue to go down that path and most importantly, work in any field that they want to. So that's something that's that's probably really important um, to a lot of people, not just, just for the additional income, which is which is good and a lot of people are accustomed to having, but also the fact that that it allows you to kind of continue on in career fields, you know, so you don't have a big gap in your resume. Absolutely. I mean, mind you, there are some professions. So for example, if you're a nurse and you, and you know that you're only coming here for say one or two years, it's it's really not advantageous to apply for the nursing license over here because it's not recognized immediately. And sometimes it can take a year for that process to unfold. So a lot of spouses in that situation say, you know what, we're only here for this amount of time. Let's focus on traveling. Let's, I'm not, you know what, I, I've worked for 20 years. I'm happy to take two or three years off. So there's also that contrast as well. But at the end of the day, if, if you are interested in working, the option is there for you. What about uh, medical, dental, all the life kind of support networks that most locations have. What's it like uh, accessing those in uh, the UK? I think we're extremely fortunate because unlike the other locations in OCAN in Europe, every service you could possibly need is available in your first language or your second language if francophone is, if, uh, sorry, French is, is your first language. Not only that component, but also the fact that the healthcare system here is very similar to Canada. So it's um, the national health system is tremendous and in many ways, uh, in, in, in some levels, actually further ahead in certain areas. So it's great because no matter what situation comes up, you know that uh, the, the, the coverage is there. And then most importantly, um, you can get the help and the support service that is required. So it is different because surgeries are called clinics. So for example, when, when I had to uh, make an inquiry for something, I was caught off guard because they said, Oh no, your your surgeons in in theater. Theater? What does that mean? And it just means that they're literally performing a surgery on someone else. But your local clinic is called a surgery, so it's it's important to understand the little terms that are used differently here than than back home. You had mentioned travel and people liking to travel. What's been your favorite travel location so far? We were fortunate that we were able to get in a solid six, eight months of traveling before the pandemic happened. And the luxury of being in central London is that you're at the doorstep of Europe in terms of Heathrow Airport. So you can go anywhere or even Northern Africa, doesn't matter. Where's been your favorite travel location so far? For us, I think it was Croatia because we were able to go in August. So that was between the two national lockdowns here. So the need of traveling was was definitely um, definitely present because you know we were able to travel for six or eight months prior to that, so we experienced it. We got a kind of a, uh, a glimpse of it, but we weren't able to 
go to all the countries we wanted to. So sneaking away for that particular trip was a welcome change. And most importantly, any vacation after lockdown feels like paradise. But being in Croatia, it was great to actually be in that beautiful turquoise tropical water. The country is absolutely spectacular with their mountains. And also your penny goes quite far because of the the exchange rate. So overall, that was a great experience at a much needed time. It sounds really great. That sounds awesome. So what have you discovered that's a little bit closer to home in terms of interesting things or interesting landmarks to go and see in London? There's probably something I should have mentioned about, about central London is that you don't even have to go to a museum to actually tap into it because uh, there's blue plaques on certain homes in downtown London. And when I say certain homes, I mean over 950. And this started back in 1866, I believe, where if a famous person lived or worked in that dwelling, it is basically recognized through the English Heritage Society as um, a place of great importance. So, for example, where Charles Dickens lived or if this philosopher lived there or composer, whatever the case may be, is that you can just be following along and you immediately see the blue plaque and, and you can bring it up on your phone and just read all about it. So you don't even have to, you know, wait in the queue, so to speak, and, and, and go to a museum to actually learn about the rich culture. Is there any advice you would give for people on when they're either they're thinking or considering an outcan or they're decided they're going to do it? Well, it's not all roses, as people always say. And that is sometimes uh, an overlooked component. Sometimes everyone always focuses on, oh, you're in Europe, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're being spoiled, you have the opportunity to travel and, and all the different cultural experiences that go with it. But at the end of the day, you obviously still have a job to do. And the difference with the job is that it's been said many times, but uh, OutCan is just like the fishbowl community because unlike working in Canada, you don't have uh, that same, uh, let's say, dynamic. And there's also challenges, too, in, in the sense that you may feel that you are prepared to come and be, let's say, eight time zones away from your family. But until you actually are here, you may not understand how difficult it might be when an older parent, let's say, for example, has a, a medical issue and, and you realize, gosh, you got to wait until two o'clock in the afternoon before you can actually get an update. So it really is tough to be removed from family and removed from friends and realize that there are going to be challenges. It's just not going to be honeymoon experience, so to speak, that a lot of people just accept going into that. It's, that's all that's, that's waiting for them. I agree with that. This being my second outcome and understanding how things work. I still don't think I appreciated the day-to-day challenge, the day-to-day living challenge sometimes focused on the travel and all the all the sexy fun stuff vice the sometimes the grind the you know the the cultural differences the language differences you know the differences in food differences in groceries is there some things advice or things that you think that they should know about it does take a bit of time to actually realize that you got to stop doing the math in your head okay you know 1.72 whatever the case may be generally speaking things are the same price that they are back home for purchasing goods or whatever the case may be but of course you have the exchange rate so it usually takes people about six months before they stop making that calculation inside their head and realizing what i'm paying this much for that you know that's really interesting because 
that's actually come up in every interview I've done so far. Really? Is yeah. everybody says you have to stop doing the math in your head. <laughs> you have to stop thinking because I ask, you know, is it expensive? And I should have asked you, is it expensive to live in London? <laughs> it is. It, it's it's terribly expensive, but also again, you are compensated accordingly in terms of of the monthly stipend and having said that though just being on the outskirts of london we are here um, i'll use beer as an example because it might be four or five pounds here for a pint of beer but each zone on the tube you go closer to central london you'll see that it goes up to sometimes eight nine ten pounds for the exact same pint in central london so it, it really is a different category let's say central london compared to um, just being in, in one of the um the boroughs, if you will. But it's also a once-in-a-lifetime experience, too, um, because it, it is going to cost a, a great deal of money to go see a, a Broadway play, so to speak, in the West End. But still, it is one of the most amazing experiences that you could possibly have while you're in, in England. And I, I always say this is just a default opinion I always have, is that, yeah, the cost might be X amount of dollars to go to Denmark, because the Scandinavian countries are so expensive, but it's so much cheaper than if you were actually flying from Ottawa, you know, so whatever the cost is while you're over here, take advantage of it, because, you know, unfortunately, this may be something like a global pandemic, and, and you may not have the opportunity to travel as much as you'd like. Yeah, well, there is that, right? <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add? Another thing to consider that's worthwhile is that don't be caught off guard when your neighbors, for example, aren't as, let's say, friendly as, as the average Canadian. It's nothing personal. That's just, for whatever reason, the way the Brits are wired. So if they say, oh, I have to get together for a cup of tea, expect that might take eight or ten months for that to actually happen. And it's nothing against, uh, generally speaking, nothing against you as, as, as an individual. It's just that they have their social lives and they have their circles, and it's it sometimes takes an act of God to actually interject yourself into that. Now, thankfully we've been able to, to make lots of local friends through um, different avenues here. And, and once you're in, so to speak, you're in. What about schools and schooling issues for kids? I know it's a lot different in the UK than it is in Canada. Schooling is, is a lot different as well. Um, just in the sense that there's a private school and public school scenario here. And then also the curriculum is, is slightly different. And it really all depends on what region in the United Kingdom you're actually living in, in terms of uh, what type of experience you have with the school. But at the end of the day, it can be a very positive experience too, because there's lots of little things like morning pickups and everything else, depending on the school, they can actually come in and pick up your child. It's totally different than, than what you'd have back in Canada. There's definitely a lot of mixed reviews out there in terms of the schooling. But at the, at the end of the day, it's just another example of adjustment and the ability to be flexible when coming to Ocan. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us and share your experiences of what it's like to live in London. Well, thank you, Anne. It's, it's been a pleasure to, to join you. Well, London sounds just as great as I thought it would be to live in such a dynamic city and to be able to see and do so much. Thanks again to Eric for taking the time to speak with me and share his experiences. The Outcan Experience is hosted by Anne Raffenstein and Emily Tremblay. It's produced by Anne Raffenstein and Amanda Ager. It is being presented in partnership with Military Family Services Europe.
The theme music for the Outkin Experience is Joy in Your Bright Face by Music L Files, provided under Creative Commons licensing. 